This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right. So who grilled this? Yeah. The rest of them did, but they're just extremely modest. All right. I'm sorry that I'm late. I always say that when I start. There's a reason I'm always late. All right. All right. The mic I don't need. Thank you. Ah, recorded. So really, what I want to say, I can't say this. Many... What I really want to tell these guys, I can't really say, can I? I can't really say what's on my mind. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's for sure. Okay. You guys will have to forgive me. I just have to gather my thoughts. I just finished speaking in the vein for girls. I really don't want to tell you the same things I told them. <laughs> You're sleeping out long enough. See? Okay. okay. He didn't get it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said his sleeves are not long enough. We got to wake you up. Come on, guys. Hello. Okay. All right. Wake you up. We're, 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 we're less than 24 hours away from Yom Kippur. Okay. So I'm going to really start off with um, a couple of questions. And I hope, Mr. Hashem, by the time I'm finished, I'll have them all answered. So the question is like this. The first question is, we're starting off with Hashem tomorrow night. Kol right? Everyone knows that. So, Kol all my promises, and all the utterances that came out of my mouth, and all the swearings that I made, that I meant, that I didn't mean. That's how you start off in Kippur. We end off in Kippur. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Uolikim, Hashem Melech, Chobina Malkeinu. That's how you should start in Kippur. First, you're Makabal, Hashem, you're God, you're the king, you're my father, you're the only one. Now that we have Hashem's attention, and we call him our father and our king, now the time after that to start praying to him. But that we do at the end of Yom Kippur. And the beginning of Yom Kippur sounds like it's not such an important thing to get up and start talking to Hashem. Well, you know, I made a promise that I would uh, get up every day on time, and I didn't, and I promised my mother that I was going to make my bed every morning, and I didn't, and I pro- That's what Yom Kippur is all about. So why do we start Yom Kippur with something called Kol Question number one. Question number two. What are the five Inuyim, the five things that are painful that we don't do on Yom Kippur, is that we don't wear shoes. The question is, except for Tishabov, which represents mourning, which represents mourning, like you lose somebody, since the base of Israel is thrown out of Tishabov, so we're, we're like a mourner, we're like an Ovel. So on Tishabov, we don't wear shoes because we're like an Ovel. On Yom Kippur, we're not an Ovel. Yom Kippur is a Yantar. Yom Kippur is Shabbos Shabbosom. Double Shabbos, right? What do shoes have to do with this? Why don't you wear shoes? If you're going to tell me because it's a fast day, Tanis Esther, Shavos of right? Sarbatevis, they're all fast days. You wear shoes. So it's not because it's a fast day. So what is this thing on Yom Kippur that we don't wear shoes? And the third question is, you'll pay a little bit te- a little attention to it this year, Mitzvah Hashem. 
The third question is, in the middle of Musaf, actually right after the Musaf Tefillah, which is the Holy of Holies, is where we talk about the Karbanos that they brought in the, in the base Hanvikdash, and the Kain Gadol went inside, and we were crying in, we all get down on our knees, and we, and we bow to Hashem. Musaf is where it's at, right? And right after we bring the Karbanos, all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere, we say a piyut, we say the following. We talk about the Asare Heruge Malchus, the ten great martyrs that were killed. What are they doing on Yom Kippur? What are they doing? Why are they part of this on Yom Kippur? It starts off in your Art Scroll Machzar on page 586. Eila Eskara, the these are the, the martyrs that I'm crying about, and we talk about Rabbi Akiva, he got raped to death, and we talk about Shimon Kayan Gadol, and we talk about all they killed the skin off his face, all the terrible ten tzaddikim that were killed, the terrible things that happened to them. In the middle of Muslim on Yom Kippur, we say it on Tishabov. We said it already. We, we said it already this year. We said it in the keynote on Tishabov. What are these ten martyrs doing in the middle of Muslim on Yom Kippur? And if we're going to talk about them, why during Musaf? Why after the Kabbalah? So I, I intend to Mitzvah Hashem, I hope to answer these three questions. So let's start off with the question of Kol Nidre. I don't know if I said this here last year, but I tell you the story of the operation and the open heart. Anybody, by raise of hand, anyone know that story? Not enough. Appreciate it. Okay, so let me tell you a very fast story. So there was this um, there was this young boy, and he was like nine years old. He had to have an open heart surgery. They had to replace a valve. Very tricky operation in his heart. And there was one place in the United States of America that does this perfect. That was a very big hospital that was in Boston. And there was a very famous doctor that did this surgery. And he had a very famous team of doctors that worked with him. And this was the number one hospital. And the parents of the child came down. They checked. Hey, we're still in Lewis. Come on. They checked everything out, and they found out that this was the best way to do it, and they brought their child, and I'm going to cut to the chase. They had this operation. The doctor came in. He had his team, anesthesiologist, an assistant to anesthesiologist, an assistant to the assistant, and the guy who closes the chest, and the guy who opens the chest, and the famous doctor who does the actual operation. And with the perfect is the dream team. Dream team. And they did the operation, and everything was perfect, and everything was great. They closed the kid up. They sent him upstairs to his room. Two hours after the operation, he began to get fever. And then four hours later, he had higher fever, and the fever got higher and higher. Eight hours after he got the fever, he went into a coma. Twelve hours after the operation, the child passed away. They called the doctor at home. They said, your patient passed away. He said, it's impossible. My hands are the hands, and nobody under my hands can, can nothing can go wrong under my hands. And he rushes to the hospital, and he rushes up, and he finds out that it's true this child passed away. He's beyond himself, of course. He's not blaming himself. So he calls the team together, and he says, I want each one of you, all 12 of you, our rule is you have to have at least eight hours of sleep. I want to see your time clock. I want to see your log. I want to see that you all slept eight hours or more. I want you to do blood tests, urine tests. I want to make sure there's no drugs, there's no alcohol, because there's no way that it was me. And everybody checks out, eight hours, clean, everyone's clean, everything's perfect. The doctor turns around, he says, you know what? Okay. He goes up to the head of the, the president, the chairman of the board of the hospital, he says, listen, when I came out of medical school, I made up something with myself that any child, any person that I operate on or a child, 
that lies on the mic here, that's the last day I'm a doctor. And therefore, I'm handing in my resignation. I'm done. I'm finished. No hospital, no team, no nothing. I'm out of here. Of course, they built this hospital around this doctor. They were beyond themselves. They tried this. They tried that. They tried this. There was nothing to talk about. He was done. A little child died under his hands. He's finished. He goes into his office, and he starts to, you know, pack away the pictures on his desk and everything. He starts to pack it away. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. And he's like, don't even try. I'm done. I don't want to talk to you people. And then the, the knock continues. He says, who is it? And here's a voice on the other side. It's Susie. Susie, schmoozy. I never heard of Susie. She's not on my team. I never saw her before. Not interested. Hello, Susie. I really have nothing to talk to you about. Have a nice day. I'm out of here. She stands there. She waits till he's ready to leave. He opens the door. There's this young 19-year-old girl standing by the door. She says, doctor, doc, I have to talk to you. He says, I'm on my way out. What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you want? He says, Doc, I have to tell you, that child that you operated on today, it's my fault that the child died. He looks at her and he goes, what's your name, Susie? Susie, listen to me. I never saw you before in my life. You're not on my team. If the president decided to send you to try to get me to stay, to blame yourself, I'm not interested. I'm out of here. She says, no, 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 doctor, I see you every day. Because you see me every day. Where do you see me every day? She says, I'm behind the curtain. My job in the hospital is that I take the tools that you use and I sterilize them. He says, okay, so what's, what's the big deal? She says, I'll tell you what happened, Doc. She says, you did an operation yesterday on that guy. He had a lot of infection and gangrene that you worked on. And you gave me, they sent me back the tools and they, they sent me back to sterilize them. And this morning I came in and I wanted to put them in the wet box, in the hot box, whatever it's called. And as I was about to put them in, I got a phone call. And it was one of my friends, and she was in a dire situation, and I ended up talking to her for 20 minutes, and then all of a sudden, I heard from the loudspeaker that you needed your tools, and I didn't know what to do, and I, I knew we would have to be in the hot box for a long time, so I washed them off with cold water. I tried, but I knew that they weren't sterilized, but I had panicked, and I just wrapped them up in the gauze, made them look like they were sterilized, and I, I sent them into the room. See, Doc, you took those, those tools, and you put those, used those tools in the heart, on the valve, of that child and all the infection from the patient before was in that was on those tools and it must have gone straight to the heart and I'm really sorry I, I killed this kid and I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the consequences it had nothing to do with you and the doctor looked at her and he said it's amazing best doctor best hospital best team infected tool patient's dead the most meaningless person, not part of my team, because of you, we lost this child. True story. I took this story when I read it, and I brought it to Yom Kippur. We are surgeons on Yom Kippur. We got all kinds of cancers and diseases and anashama that we need to cut out. What a surgery, Yom Kippur. We're cutting t to save our lives. We're standing in front of Hashem on Yom Kippur, and the first decision that's made is Chayim. Is life or death? That comes all the money, shidduch, health, happiness. But if you're dead, money, shidduch, health doesn't make a difference. So the first decree on each neshama is life or death. And therefore, when we come to Yom Kippur, the tool that we use 
to cut away all those cancers. What are the cancers? Are they? We said we did a whole year. All the thoughts, the terrible thoughts that we might have had that year. All the ter- ter- terrible deeds. It's, it's sitting on our neshama. It's there. It's called a klipa. It's called an arla. It's sitting on your neshama. So, all you give when we go in front of the Kodesh Baruch Hu, and we ask for forgiveness. Hosham, Nubogan, Alchet, Alchet, Alchet. Every Alchet, cut another one off. Cut another cancer out. Cut another disease out. Every Alchet that you say. And you're using these tools, and you're cutting away. Beautiful. You got the best surgeon. The best surgeon in the world is you. Because you know what you did. I don't know what you did. You know what you did. So you know without a sonogram, without an MRI, exactly where that cancer is. Exactly what that Avera was. You're not going to take a sonogram. You're just going to look inside yourself. I did this, I did this. I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You can say it in your own words. I'm sorry, boom, that Avera is gone. Boom, that Avera. We spoke last year about Shuba. That Avera is gone. You're doing the surgery. So you're the best surgeon in the world. And you got the best team. You're standing in a minion. Your Rebbe's there. Rosh Hashiva's there. Sadiqim are there. Fantastic team. And you're in the best hospital in the world. You're in Yeshiva. You're here. You're in a shul. You're at the Kotel. Wow. What a hospital. Best hospital. Best surgeon. Best team. But what's doing with the tool that you're using for the surgery? What's the tool that you're using for the surgery? Your mouth. The whole Yom Kippur is tefillah. So you can have the best surgeon and the best doctor and the best hospital and the best team. But if the tool that you're using, the mouth that you're using, has bacteria and is not sterilized, what's going to happen to the patient? What does that mean? It's not sterilized and has bacteria? Because that mouth is because that mouth said nibble pear. Because that mouth answered back my mother or my father or my Rebbe or spoke about someone behind their back. So now we're coming before Yom Kippur. And we have this huge surgery. The first thing we need to do is sterilize the main tool that we're going to use, which is our mouth. Therefore, before you say Hashem Elohim, before you say Shema Yisrael, before you say anything, you got to say Kol Nidre. All the promises I made with my mouth, all the utterance I said with my mouth, all the things I didn't keep that I said out of my mouth, the first thing I need to do is to clean my mouth. And how does one clean their mouth? By being very careful, especially in the next 22 hours, what comes out of it, to sterilize it overnight, to make sure that in the next 23 hours of William Kipper, we don't talk flush and hard, we don't talk bad about nobody, we definitely don't talk back to our, our parents, to call our parents and ask them the chila, to call anybody that we ever spoke bad about, don't tell them, by the way, I spoke heavy lush and hard about you, can you give me the Because they'll never talk to you again. That would be very silly, because they'll say, what did you say about me? So of course we don't say that, we just say, listen, if I ever did anything wrong, and you might call me, you don't have to go into profit fire. I did this! And I said this to this one. Uh-uh, uh-uh. That's not the way you do it. You just say, I'm asking you, Mechila, for anything I did wrong. Now that I said that, every guy that's going to do it in this room, he'll think, ah, you talk bad about me. No, that's what you have to ask. You have to ask Mechila. It's a very big thing. I know it's very hard, and I have no right, my Rebbe said, to ask anyone to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway, because that's the kind of guy I am. 
Rav Five Inuyim on Yom Kippur. It's a very big thing by Hashem if you can, if it's possible. To do, especially this Yom Kippur, a Tanis Divor. Tanis Divor means that from Kol Nidre until Myriv, the following night after the Elah, you don't utter anything out of your mouth except Torah or Tzila. And if you have to, someone asks you something, whatever it is, where's my pillow, where's my blanket, you go, uh, mm, uh, but you don't talk. It has an unbelievable power. Tanis Divor. And if you have a Tanis Divor, and I'm not going to ask you, I'm not asking you to do it, just if you want, I'm just to give you an idea. If you have a Tanis Divor, you are sterilizing your mouth and you're saying to Hashem that one day a year, I mamish didn't talk a word of nonsense, a bad word, but wasted one word out of my mouth. And that's sterilizing your mouth. And then at the end of your kibble, when you scream, Hashem, the surgery is going to be complete, complete. And when you say, L'shan HaBab Yushalayim, it's going to be true. So that's why Yom Kippur begins with Dibor. In fact, if you look at, right after Kol Nidre, we say, hold on, take it a little out of order. We say, maybe I don't have it here. But when Moshe Rabbeinu said to Hashem, we need Slicha Kapara, so Hashem said, Salachdi Kivorecha. I'm forgiving you according to your words. So we see that even right after Kol Nidre, right? That's what it says. That the Kapara of Hashem comes from our words. Now, I'm going to tell you something tonight I don't think you've ever heard before, for a change. The power of, of speaking. Hashem said to Moshe, Salach your word. Not your thoughts, not your machshavas, according to your word. So I want to tell you something very fascinating. There's a Mishnah, I don't know what I'm doing my papers, but okay, who knows this by heart. There's a Mishnah in Perkeyavos that says, I believe it's in the first parak, only the sixth Mishnah, it says, the Salachti, no, I'm sorry, I'm Salachti, to that a person has to be done to that everyone in this room, every Jew, we have to judge the other Jew for the good. No matter how bad he's acting, no matter what you see him doing, you should judge him for the good. I remember when I was a kid growing up, I saw a guy in a car in Shabbos. driving a car with a yarmulke. I said to my father, Oh, he's there, look, he's in a car driving, he's Michael Shabbos. My father said, No, you have to think that he's going to go, he's going to pick someone up that's sick that has to go to the hospital. You know, he's an asshole. Whatever. So when you see someone doing, a Jew doing something bad, you have to think that something good, there's something, uh, you have to come up with some excuse for You have to be dan lechaps chus every single Jew. Now, I don't understand how this works. It doesn't make sense. Because the bottom line, this guy's in a car at Shabbos. And he's driving. So, because I'm saying to myself, Oh, he must be taking his wife to the hospital, even though his wife's not in the car, right? Or he forgot a Chavez. He thinks it's Sunday. Or some other silly excuse that I'm coming up with. How am I helping him? Hashem knows the truth. How does me judging another Jew with Chavzchus, you know, for credit, for good, help this guy? Hashem knows the truth. So if there's a guy that walks in and he embarrasses me in front of everyone else, and I'm like, Hashem, he didn't mean that. It was a joke. You're just joking. Hashem knows if he was joking or not. What good, what good does it do that I'm saying 
he was joking. Hashem knows the truth. What is a human being learning schus on somebody? God knows the MS. How does that work? Very scary. So, I'll tell you how it works. We're going to learn a little Gemara tonight, a little Tyshness tonight, a little Shita Mekubetzes tonight. Amazing stuff. When I said that in the day by the girl, they're like, Shita Mekubetzes? What's that? I don't have that book. <laughs> okay. What you guys do? Listen carefully. Let's get the Gemara, 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 Gemara. The Gemara says the following story. Who all of them want to look it up tonight? Because usually you guys don't believe me when I say, so they're like, ready, where does it say? Well, the comma, Nun Omarao, is a story like this. Kanarabana, Maisimabita Shalukh. He really doesn't trust me. There's a story about the daughter of a guy named Nechunya. What did Nechunya do? He used to dig cisterns, um, holes in the ground, fill them up with water, so the people, the Jewish people that would walk by, would have a place to drink water for their animals, for themselves. He was a big tzaddik. He did this for free. All he did all day, dig holes, fill them up with water, dig holes, fill them up with water. So all of us, when we went by, have a place to drink. What a tzaddik. One day, his daughter was walking by, and she fell into one of the biggest, deepest ditches that he, that he, that the father dug. Okay. So they ran to the great rabbi. They ran to Rechanina ben Daisa, right? And they said, pray for her. Shalom. Everything's okay. Don't worry. They ran back to the hole to see what's doing with her. She was under the water. They didn't see her anymore. They ran back to Kenim and Dice. They said, she's drowning. Shalom. Everything's okay. Don't have to call out Shalom. All of a sudden, they came running back to him. And they said, also, she came out. She's on dry ground. She's alive. Okay. So they went over to this girl. And they said, Amrullah, no man, no human man could have gotten her out of this. You couldn't get that deep down and get out. So they said to her, Mihaela, who, who took you out of the, out of the ditch, out of this hole? Amru, she said, Laham, Zacha Shorechelin, a male sheep came, Bazakin Echad Manhigo, and an old man was leading him, and they took me out. Which we understand to mean the sheep was Yitzchak, right? And the old man was Avram Avinu. Why? Since her father was doing chesed, so Avram Avinu, who's Chesed, he came with Yitzchak, and they saved him. Very interesting Gemara. It's brought down in one of the Mephoshim that it was actually he himself, that Rebchanina Mendoza, was given the Koyach to become like a Malach, and he went in there, and he's the one who saved it. Okay, it doesn't matter who saved it. Okay. So now they're all excited, and they said, Ah, oh, Chanina Mendoza, we knew you were great, but did you were a Navi? We came running, and you said, Shalom? And then we came running, and you said, Shalom? Everything's okay? Only a Navi would know that. Big man, you're a Navi. He said, ben Navi. I'm not a Navi and I'm not the son of a Navi. He said, But I'll tell you how I knew. He said, Kacharmati, when you came to me right away, you told me that his daughter was drowning in this well that he dug. I said, The thing that this great Nechunya, this Sadik, was busy doing for Claudius Rome, could it be? that his own daughter should die in the well that he's digging for Klai Yisrael? No, Hashem, you can't do that. 
Even if he deserves that his daughter should die and she deserves that she should die, she should die in the hole that he made to help everyone else? No. A man gives an ambulance to Atsala and Chas Hashem, his kid should be hit by that ambulance? No. No, come on. Can't happen. In the thing that he was doing for Chesed, and therefore, he said, I wasn't a Navi, but I knew, listen carefully, that the minute I got with Hashem and I said these words, God, Hashem, I know she's drowning, but you can't do that because he dug the hole. I knew right away she'd be saved. Gemara goes on. Next line. Amorabi Acha. Acha became, even though after this whole story I just told you, Mace Beno Batsama. The same Nechunya who dug the holes, his son died from thirst. Asks Toysvus. How could that be? But Khanina Medosa said that you can't die. The father made it. You should die in the thing. It's impossible. What did the father do? He was making wells of water so that everybody could drink. So how could his son die of thirst? Same question. So the Toysvus answers that in the hole that he dug, his children couldn't die. She, the, the son didn't die in the hole. In the water that he was putting in, his children couldn't drown. But just because he gave water to everyone else doesn't mean his son can't, can't die of thirst. If his son would have drowned, you're right. But he didn't drown. That's what Tyson said. She took a breath and says, well, what kind of answer is that? Come on, yeah, yeah. It's a loophole. The water is a result. He died of water and of, of thirst and, and he was giving everyone that was thirsty water. I don't accept that. She, I, I, can't, I don't understand that answer. He says something amazing. He says, look at the Gemara very carefully. In the first case, Hanina Mendoza got up and said, Hashem, you can't do this! He dug the wells! You can't do this! So she was saved, even though she was supposed to die. But when the son died of thirst, nobody got up and said anything. The son died somewhere out in the desert nobody knew about it. So nobody got up and said, Hashem, how can he die from thirst? This man, even though maybe he deserved it, but this man is, is digging well. But since nobody said the debor, nobody said the words, therefore it says, it says the sheet, there's a big sheet that said, that's why he died. Now let's look at the Mishnah. If you see a guy on this, this is an amazing, mind-opening shot, what I'm about to tell you. You see someone driving on Shabbos, well, okay, before I get to that, there's another Gemara. I'm not going to get into this Gemara, but the Gemara, the Gemara talks about, in Shemayim there was a big machlekes between Hashem and, a, and the Bezim Shemayla about a certain Negat Saras, if it's Tohar or Tomeh. Hashem Paskin, Hashem Paskin, that it's Tohar. The Rambam Paskins, that it's Tomeh. Because the Mishnah asks, how could the Rambam pass it against God? The first that God said, it's dark. Rambam came along and said, it's dark. And they asked, how do you get The Terence is, why by Shemayim mean? What we pass it on this world, even if in Shemayim God passes against it, it goes by what we pass it. Many times in the world, you'll see a Bosco came out, and a Bosco came out, and a Bosco came out, and Bethlehem said, have a nice day. We don't pass it according to a Bosco. We pass according to the way we pass it. And if we pass it in days where it's even if it isn't, 
Kaddish, Kaddish. I'll take you a step further. I'll take you a step further. If Bezdin witnesses come and say, this guy's a murderer, and Bezdin does all their checking and checking and checking, and they pass him, Bezdin gets up, Ruben is a murderer, he's Chayev Miso. Finish. They're taking him out to kill him, and the two witnesses come running that said all that bad about him and said, we made it up. We have witnesses. We said we saw the murder of Yerushalayim that we were in Florida that week. And we have witnesses that we were in Florida. We are Adam Zolomid. We are liars. The halacha is too late. You kill him. He's 100% innocent. He's innocent. There are Adam that have come and said it was too late. It was after the Gzar Din. After Bezdin says the Din, you can't change it. He dies. And they can be proven the biggest lies in the world. Halacha is he dies. You can't change it after Bezdin makes halacha. That's the way it is. They go out and they kill him. Nothing you can do. And vice versa. If he's found innocent, and the halacha and the din, they pass him that he's innocent, and then the agent come and say, ah, I don't lie, we told you he was with us in Florida. He wasn't with us in Florida. This guy is so guilty. Too late. He's innocent. The best thing on this world, we have such, the koyach that a human being has on this world is amazing. I'll tell you another one. It says that if you have a bar, a hole in the ground, that's ten tzachim, ten fists. Right? And someone falls in and dies, Yechayim Misa, because ten fists can kill a person. Nine? You're not Chayim. So they went to a rabbi, and there was a hole. And they wanted to know if this hole was a, killing, a killer hole. The rabbi was a little guy about this big. His hands were teeny. His ten fists was about this much. The re- and he basking. He did his ten fists. Right? That was how big the hole was. It was his ten fist. He passed it. This hole can kill someone, even though it was only this big because he had teeny little fists. They went to another rabbi. And this guy's nine fists, he was huge. He was a 7 2 guy, was this big. And therefore, that hole, according to that rabbi, he's the one who, who measured it, is not enough to kill someone. So this hole can kill someone, and this hole can't. Why? Because this rabbi has little fists and this rabbi has... Do you know what it says? It says that since this rabbi has little fists and, he, and the Gemara and the Halakha if he has ten fists and can kill someone, there'll be a new Bria, a new creation, a new Tava, a new change in nature. That since it's his ten fists, Shemayim will change that, that, that little hole is possible to kill you. And the other guy's nine fists which is much bigger won't kill you. What we do on this world, the Halakha, the other world will change this world to that Allah. So now listen. So now there's a guy driving on Shabbos, and he's driving by, and I say, Hashem, I'm down the Chatzchus. He's driving on Shabbos, Hatzalah, he forgot what day it is. It's an emergency, he's got to go run after his wife. For whatever reason, I don't know, there's a kid in the back seat I can't see that something happened to. So you passed him, Allah! That, that guy's okay, he didn't do an Amira. Now they go to Beth Yishamayla, and Beth Yishamayla says, We're going back to Chal Shabbos. He went to get to the movies on time in the middle of Shabbos. Too late, Beth Yishamayla. You can't change what I ask you. If you judge every Jew, Lechazchus, Lechazchus, to the side of Chus, then in Shemayim they can't judge against you. 
what a crazy power. But what about Chassoshalm the other way? You see a guy doing something good, and you say, I know why he's doing it. He wants to get close to the Rebbe so he can go to his house for lunch on Shabbos. He doesn't care about learning. You Paskins! But he doesn't care about learning. You Paskin! But his whole learning is a fake! And Shemayim, the Paskin that his learning is real! Because you're, you're, you're wrong. Too late. Since you Paskin, Shemayim that can't turn over, the first guy to run with it is the, is the Satan. And he says to Hashem, Here, I'm not saying anything. One of your Jewish boys is Makatri. The big Sadiqim, their Koyach, Moshe Rabbeinu's Koyach, was in the worst thing. That's to be Makatri. What's the riot to this? Even if they're doing the wrong thing. Eliyahu Anabi said to Hashem, Kla Yisrael is not doing bris milah. We were not doing bris milah. It's true. He ran from Hashem because they're not doing bris milah. Hashem said, You were Makatri on my, on my nation? Your punishment is that every time a Jew does a bris, you've got to go to that bris. And you got to eat the bagels and the eggs. I don't care how bad they are. <laughs> you got to go to that bris, and you got to come to Shemayim, and every single Jew that does a bris, you have to come in front of my throne, just like you told me they're not doing it, and they weren't doing it. And you're going to have to say, by every Jew, I'm a witness. Chaim did it. Moshe did it. Ruben did it. Yehuda did it. In Australia, they did it. In Mexico, every single bris. And, and, and he doesn't want to be here. This is El Yom Malach Habris. He wants to be in Shemayim. How dare you open your mouth, El Yom Hanavi, and talk bad about my children, even when they're bad. Yeshaya Hanavi. Yeshaya Hanavi. They gave him so much trouble. He got up and he said something bad about Kaisrol. It says that he was hiding in a tree from the Goyim, and they took an axe, and they cut down the tree, not knowing that it was there. And that's how he was killed. He was killed, the, 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 the hatchet went right through his neck, and it brings out in the medrash. You know why? Because from his neck, from his mouth, came bad words about Kalaish. Well, that was true. So his punishment was me, the Kenegami, the Yeshaya Novi. You're not allowed to talk bad about the Jews. We are not allowed to talk bad about the Jews. Because when we talk bad about the Jews, we're the Bezdin. And then Hashem Bezdin Shamila can't change it. But we're allowed to talk good about you. Then we know them. There were many big tzaddikim that all these, no matter how bad you were, they found something good in you. Abramovinu found something good in a bunch of Arabs. Forget about Jews. He found good in Saddam. Come on. The worst human beings in the world. They put you on a bed if you were tall, they cut your feet off. If you were short, they, 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 they slept you. They took a girl, they put her full of honey and hung her in front of a beehive. I mean, Hello. What did Abraham Avinu do? Abraham Avinu, any one of us would have said, burn them! Destroy them! Kill them, Hashem! Wipe off the face of the earth! Abraham Avinu said, how about 100? How about 50? How about 20? How about 10? How about 10? Would you save the whole place of 10? And Hashem said yes. Why did Hashem say yes? Take the 10, move them out, and then destroy them. Because Abraham Avinu was coming from their Bria, their Bria. But you have to learn schus on them. So the most important thing, everybody's talking about Mashiach. We want Rev. Wasi to hear this story, the lady in the nursing home, and the lady who came back who's in a coma, and it's Matzah Shviyas, and it's, it's the Chama's coming, the, 
the benching of the sun, and all the simanim, the stock market's crashing. Everyone wants Mashiach when the stock market crashes. The stock market's crashing. <laughs> want Mashiach. The Yankees are not anyway in the World Series, and the Mets are not in the World Series. So Mashiach doesn't disturb right now. You know, who cares about Boston? Doesn't make a difference. You understand? You know, so the guys from Chicago, they're also at, I think. So, you know, so, so everyone's ready for Mashiach. All, of, all our teams are not here. The guys from LA are doing pretty well, right? But. <laughs> so he, you know, he's like, Hashem, wait two weeks, they might win the World Series, then I want Mashiach. But anyone wants Mashiach? And all the Simon are there, but why? There's one big problem that you're not thinking about. Does Hashem want Mashiach? Why doesn't Hashem want Mashiach? Because there's about a million of us, nice religious Jews, but there's 10 or 12 million out there that don't even know they're Jews. What's going to happen to them when Mashiach comes, guys? So you think Hashem wants to save a million of his children? and destroy 12 million of them? <laughs> He's got a problem. He brings us Mashiach, those guys. Shabbos, kosher, intermarriage. Forget about it. He doesn't want to lose those children. So, if all us children get up on Yom Kippur, this Yom Kippur, and we turn around to Hashem and say, you know, I have a cousin, he's not religious. He married, he married a non-Jewish woman. But you know, Hashem, it's not his fault. He doesn't come from a religious family. He doesn't even know he's a Jew. Hashem, it's not his fault. His name is... I pass him. It's not his fault. We got another one from Mashiach. And, 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 and this whole group of people, they don't know nothing about it in reform. They're brought up reform. They don't know nothing. They see a woman uh, rabbi, a woman mile, I don't know, woman, everything, whatever it is. They're like totally out of their minds. Hashem, it's not their fault. They're brought up that way. If we, if we, the ones who know Adam Chaschus, the ones who don't know, then we're paskening in this world. And in the next world, they have to accept them. I know everybody has lists of names that they put in their machzer to write about people who are sick and should daven for. But how many guys have in their machzer their cousins who aren't religious to daven for? And their friend that's not religious, so they went to public school with to daven for. That's what Hashem wants to see. He understands that you're davening for the chaylam. But the Chaylim, even if they die, they have a world to come. These people have no world to come. So we need to have lists of cousins, of friends, of names, who don't even know that you're doubting them, and say to Hashem, believe me, I know this guy. If he only knew, if he was in our Sameach, if he only, if he only knew, he'd be much bigger than me. You passing like that? He's bigger than you. What a Kodach. Amazing strength that we all have. We have that clan. We need to use that this Yom Kippur. Because Mashiach standing at the door. But there's a problem. There's too many of us that are not going to make it. we got to bring them in. We bring them in, we're ready. He's there. So we have to down for all the nitche, all the Jews who are never pushed out, who don't know. And the guys that you know by name, write that name down. Put in your machzah, cry for him. Or them. Or family members, whoever it is. Or yourself. Okay. So that answer is called Nidre. We know that the power is the power of the mouth. The next thing is who's really giving judgment tomorrow? Who's giving judgment, Yom Kippur? You guys aren't going to Shemayim. I hope not. If you are, give me a number after Yom Kippur. I'd like to know, especially if you come back. We don't stand in front of Hashem. None of us are going to stand in front of Hashem tomorrow. Our souls on the Shemot are standing in front of Hashem. We're down here. A neshama is going up there. So what kind of neshama are you sending up there? Let me tell you a little story. So there was this young prince 
And in the old days, they used to marry off guys, princes, without choices, because it was all political stuff. You know, you wanted Austria to be together with this other country, so you took the princess of Austria with the, with the prince of England, and you married them together, then Austria and England were connected. That's what they used to do, set up marriages. So this prince was a hot shot, cool character, had his own head, and one day his father says to him, listen, we just found a beautiful princess, this country we want to make peace with, tomorrow night you're getting married. Uh, no choice. This is what happens in royalty. You have no choice. The next night they get married. He is so upset. Nobody forces anything on me, but he has no choice. And they get married. They're under the chuppah, whatever. They come down. They sit down by the table. He turns to her and he says, listen, I don't know you. I don't like you. And I don't ever really want to see you again. I'm not into this whole political thing. I want to marry someone that I chose. In the Chiras Libo, some guys write that on there on their invitations, which is the silliest thing I've ever seen. I'm getting married because I chose her. What did you choose? You chose nothing. Forty days before you came into this world, Hashem chose her. So don't be like, in Bechiras Libo, I chose her. Better you didn't choose. If it's Bechiras Libo, then uh, it becomes a human thing and it may not last. But if it's Hashem chose, I, I don't understand why that's inv- on invitations. They think it's romantic. But first of all, if you want it to be romantic, then don't write it in Hebrew, write it in English. And that I never saw. So... In he said, I want to choose my queen, but you know what? I got no choice. My father did this, so you know what? In the corner, in the attic of the castle, that's where you're going to be. And he sends her off with the servants into the corner. He doesn't want anything to do with her. Forced on me? Feck. I'm nothing to do with her. But what can he do? That's what his father did. He goes out with his friends. They go hunting. They play polo, whatever they're doing. They're having a great time. A few months later, his father dies. And he becomes the king. Aha. Now, in the Chirasli, I'm going to find myself a queen. And he goes out and he hangs out. He goes to this place, to that place, to that place. He meets this girl. She's beautiful. She's this, she's that. He marries her. They're married for 40 years. <coughs> and some good times, some bad times. Not bad. You know, 40 years, pretty good. He's like 65, 69, let's say close to 70 at this point. He's married to her. He's bored with her. He says, you know what? I got to get myself a young girl. So he goes out, and he says, I'm the king. I can marry as many women as I want. And he meets one night. This guy introduces to his 19-year-old beauty. Mama's a model. And he's like, wow, she would be like a great person to have when I go to parties and when I go you know, to court. And you know, he starts talking to her, and she knows he's the king, and he's a multi-billionaire, even though he's seven years old, and he's old, and he's bald, and he's wrinkled, and whatever. Uh, but she's, but she's, he's got money. right? So she marries him. And this fool is nothing worse than an old fool. This fool, and, you know, you see these guys, you know, on the West Side Highway. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I've seen it many times. I've seen this crazy Italian sports car, like a Testarossa, like, you know, like a $250,000 beautiful Ferrari. And I'm like, i got to see who's driving that thing, right? And the top's down, you drive up next to it, and you see this old guy sitting there, no hair on his head, which is a little ponytail in the back of a rubber band, right? With sunglasses. And like, I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing in that car? I should be in that car. <laughs> But, you know, when you get to that age, you, you want to be young, so you surround yourself think, with young things. So this guy also was an old fool. 19-year-old girl, he marries her. He's so happy, of course, you know, when men make that mistake, they make that mistake, and he thinks she loves her, and she, she buys him a cake on his birthday. Yeah. He goes to every party with his beautiful, you know, beauty queen over here, and everyone's like, whoa, the king got a 19-year-old, whoa, whoa, and everyone's going crazy, like, you know? Okay. A year later... A year later, he gets deathly ill. 
And he's laying in his deathbed. The doctor says, yeah, you got a couple hours, man. You don't got much time. And he thinks to himself, nope. He's very scared to leave this world by himself. Scary thing. So he calls in this girl. This, now she's 20. It's a year later. Be careful. Be careful, because I don't say every minute, you know, I'll get at the end of the whole list of shoes. You said he had green socks. And at the end, you said he took off his black socks. The whole thing's not true, Rabbi! So I got to be careful with my details that they, you know, stay in the right place. So now she's 20. Because it was a year, and then he got sick. Okay, good. Anyway, he calls her into the room. He says, darling, sweetie, you've been amazing to me this last year. And I'm, I have a few hours left. I have these two cyanide pills. We'd like you to lay down next to me and take them. And the two of us will die together and go to heaven together. Oh, what a book, right? Ah, Romeo and Juliet. She turns around to him and says, You old geezer. You fool. You think I like you? I despise you. You smell. You're old. You're wrinkled. I'm waiting for you to die. You take the cyanide pills. I'm not. She said, I can't wait because the minute you die, I already have them lined up. Got this young 22-year-old guy. I'm going to take your money. We're going to travel the world. And he's looking at him. But you, every night you said you loved me. And you bought me cards. And, and, and you were smiling. What are you talking about? She goes, I love you. I can't wait till you're gone. She turns around and she runs out. And this king's laying on his bed. He's gasping for air. He's like, oh my gosh, what did I do? He says, oh, but my wife of 41 years. Huh? One year, 41. Okay, good. My wife of 41 years, she'll go with me. So he sends his servant out, and the servant comes in and with, with, with the wife, and the wife says, wow, you look miserable. He says, listen, 41 years, the two of us. I know I made a mistake marrying that 19-year-old. It was a mistake, and I'm sorry, and I apologize. I have these two pills, cyanide pills. It's a long time together. Could you lay down next to me and take these two pills? And we'll go to heaven together. She looks at him. She says, I have to admit, you've been pretty good to me. But I'm not going anywhere with you. But I'll tell you what. To show you my love, I promise you, I will never marry again. He's looking at her like, okay, what, what, you know. She turns around. She walks out. And there he is in his bed alone with a couple of minutes left. He's dying. It's over. And the two people that he gave his whole life to, and money and everything, gone. All of a sudden, there's a very slight little rap at the door. He says, who is it? He hears a voice on the other side. It's the princess. The princess, what are you talking about? The princess, you married me all those years ago. You sent me to my room. Can I come in? He says, oh, my goodness. I totally forgot about her. <laughs> she walks into the room old bent twisted wrinkled her hair looks like it hasn't been washed in 50 years streaked with filth the wedding gown that she was still wearing filthy ripped a woman out of a nightmare he never saw anything like that in his life and she looks at him and she says, I'll take those pills. I'll lay down and I'll die with you. She says, you? You would put it to your room by yourself? Never sent you clothing, never sent you food, didn't even set up a place for you to wash yourself, totally forgot about you? You're willing to die with me? How could that 
happy. And they're not. And she turned to him. She said, I'll tell you why. She said, from the day I met you on that wedding night, I felt so crazy in love with you. And you should know that all these years you were walking around the palace, I was right behind you. You said you never wanted to see me again, so I went from this column to that column to this column to that column, hoping that maybe you'll turn around and maybe you'll see me and maybe we'll be together again and crying every single night. You never turned around. And then you married that woman and then you married that woman. She said, but sire, my king, once you die, I have nothing in this world. And therefore, I want to die with you. She got into the bed. She took the two cyanide pills. And the two of them died together. Rabbi, what are you doing? A Romeo and Juliet story for us tonight. It's Eric and Kipper. <laughs> Crazy story. Crazy story. Anyone know anyone like that? Good. You're all like that. Every one of us says the Dogma Magid, including me. You come into this world as a goof, a baby is born, and Hashem takes in a shama, takes a soul, and puts it into that baby by force. Puts that holy, holy spiritual being into this goof, and the goof says, I don't want any part of you. Go into your corner. I want to be busy eating, sleeping, drinking, growing, playing ball, going to business, going to college, everything and anything besides paying attention to that soul. You know why? I didn't ask Hashem for this. I asked Hashem to be born a Jew. I asked Hashem for the soul. And we put her, that Nishami, in the corner of our gulf somewhere, and we pay no attention. We feed the gulf. We get married. And I don't mean to a woman, we get married to this world, and we're busy with this food and that food and better food and this restaurant and that restaurant, this car and that cold and this shoes and that. We're very busy for 40 years. Busy, busy, busy. Some good times, some bad times. Just like the middle, the woman in the middle. The Nishama, the most precious princess that loves us more than anything else in the world. Where, what, who, when. I'm more interested in the Yankees. I'm more interested in my sports team. I'm more interested in my marks on my tests. I'm more interested in girls. I'm more interested in my music. Shama? Stay in your room in the corner. And then when we get older, you guys don't know about this yet. When you get older, like 60 years old, 50, 60 years old, it's a very big word. It's called security. Investment, my money's here, my money's there. It's in the life insurance, it's in this policy. It used to be in the stock market. It's here. It's over there. It's everywhere. Because I need security. Because what am I, I'm not working anymore after I'm 68. So where am I going to get my money? So I'm, I have to be very secure. And it's secure. And it's very important. Money, 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 money. Money for me. Money for my house. Money for my kids. Money for my grandkids. Eh, like we can control the prognosis of our children and our grandchildren. Come to my gem. You can leave $10 million. They can lose it. I can tell you a story. Lose it in five seconds in gambling. You can't control anything. But we're very, very, very important. Security, security, security. I don't know what's going to happen. I hold it. Money, 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 materials. Everything has to be paid off. My mortgage is everything. That's what's important. And then after 120 years, when you're laying on that deathbed, and it's pretty scary, and you turn around and you say, Oh no, I'm going to Shemayim. I don't want to go. Money, 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 money. Beautiful princess. Where I walk around all the time and I'm showing it to everybody. This is who I am. What I gather, my materialistic belongings, that's what I am. 
And that's what I'm busy showing everyone. New money. Are you coming with me? Are you coming with me to the next world? We get buried without pockets. And the money turns around. Tell you what the money tells you. Tells the neshama and the goof. Ha! You're an old man anyway. You're no more fun. You don't gamble anymore. You don't put the money in the market anymore. You're boring. You don't buy yourself cool clothing and great cars. I'm a hot shot money. I like to be used for good things and cool things. You know what? When you die, you know where I'm going? To your grandchildren, to your children, to someone else's children. Have a nice day. Bye. And all of a sudden, you get start to panic. Oh, my goodness. All that work. All those years. Work, 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 work. Doesn't want any part of me. My family. Family. My family. Cousins, brothers, aunts, uncles, fathers, brothers, sisters. My family. Okay. 50, 60 years, I'm with my family. Family, new. You coming with me to the next world? No. They go from the Leviah. They say, Clovis, they put you in the ground. Everybody turns around. They walk. They say, Shiva. Nobody goes with you. What they say, Dad, you got my word. You're a good dad. So you'll be my only dad. I'll have a picture of you. I'll tell my children, Dad, you're my dad. Why? Husband, you're the husband. Maybe she'll marry you. Maybe she won't. All the people that you know, all your relatives, they will never, they're good to you. You spent 40 years, 50 years, 60 years with them. We'll never forget you. We're going to make a book and an album and a Zechonishmas on the wall and Zechonishmas maybe on the outside of the yeshiva. But the bottom line is, sorry, we can't go. And there you are, the last minute of your life. And the family can't go with you and your money can't go with you. And there's a knock on the door. Who are you? I'm the Nishama. Hello, Guth. Remember me? And never what that Nishama looks beaten, dirty, starving, ripped to pieces. And you're like, what are you doing here? And Nishama says, Chayam! From the minute you were born, I was watching you. Every second of a person's life, I'm there behind the door, behind the scene, waiting for you to turn around and look at me. To look at your spirituality and forget about your physical your physical being. And I kept wondering, I love you and I love you and I watch you and I watch you. You're busy with this and you're busy with that and you're busy with this. You never turn around to look at me. But Chayim, I'm your Neshama and I can't live on this world without your ghost. So therefore, if you go, I go. We go together. And the person sits here and says, oh my goodness, the one thing I should have given the most attention that never separated from me, that loved me the most, that cared for me the most, my neshama, I gave the least attention. I was busy with food, with football, with all the other stupidities in the world, and the soul food, the soul food, I never gave him anything to eat. I was busy, I had to get out of that and get my children off. Shift too long. Yeah, get me out of here. I don't like her. And that is too late. So you have about... 18 hours left. And everyone in this room, including me, our Neshama is going to stand in front of Hashem. What's it going to look like? Ripped clothing, thin, disheveled, bent over. What's Hashem going to see? If he sees your Neshama that looks like that, he's going to say, this is not a Shedach, this Neshama and this Guf. This Guf doesn't give this Neshama any attention. So if that's the case, why, why do they need to be together anymore? And then Chas the person is written in the Book of Death. But if the neshama shows up and it's beautiful, shh, look at the attention that the goof is giving to that neshama that I sent down to the world. 
we got to keep them together this year. This is a beautiful marriage. So you have about 17 hours to dress up your neshama in beautiful clothing, wash its hair, trim its beard, give it to eat, give it to drink. If you have to stay up all night and learn, daven, do tshuva, whatever you got to do. But make sure that tomorrow night when you come to Kol Nidre, that that neshama is a beautiful neshama. And everybody in this room has the koyach to do that. That neshama loves you more than anything else in this world. Most of the time, including yourself. I want to end to answer the two questions that I asked about shoes and why we read the Ten Harugim Achos. We have to know that everything we do, how we treat another person, lasts, for, lasts forever. The selling of Yosef HaTzadik by the Shvatim was never forgiven. The Rabbeinu B'chayah says that Yosef HaTzadik never said, I'm Michael you. At the end of Ayichi, they came to him and they asked for Mechila. And he said something like our parents always say, now you don't need Mechila, everything's Bashar. Hashem wanted me to be sold in Mitzrayim, so I should run from Mitzrayim. And he never gave him the word Mechila. Rabbeinu B'chayah says, if he would have said the word Mechila, Mashiach would have been here. You need to say the word Mechila. But because he didn't say that, the Mechatrig, the Satan, comes every Yom Kippur, every Rosh Hashanah, and gets up in front of Hashem and says, I hear everything he says, Mechatrig, everything the Jews are great, blah, 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 blah. <coughs> Hashem answer me how they sold their brother. That's the biggest Kittrig has been for Klaishra from the day we sold Yosef HaTzalek. Let me read for you from the Chomish, and then I'll let you guys go. What happened when, he, when we sold Yosef? He says the following. We're going to need this, we're going to need this, we need this. The following. Yosef approached his brothers. They took off his shirt, undershirt. They ripped off his shirt, they ripped off all his clothes. They asked Akasha, I don't understand. He was wearing a sinus passive, a multicolored jacket. That's what they were jealous of. Why don't they just take his jacket off? Why did they rip all his clothing off? So it says that they were in the heat of their kanos, that they were doing the right thing. They just ripped. And everything came off. Very important thing for people who are in chinach, for people who teach. When you teach someone and he does something wrong and he hurts you, just take off what he did. Don't rip the guy to pieces. That was their mistake. Take out the outer... It's not him. It's not the person. Because the person does something wrong. That's his outer jacket. Take off the jacket. You have to criticize him. Take him in the corner. Take off the jacket. But don't, in your zeal to be right, rip everything off him. Don't rip his soul and his heart. But you see, they were so anxious. They were so right that they just ripped everything off. And they threw him into the bar. Naked. Is it? That's what they did. What did they do right after that? That was a pretty heavy thing, taking your brother and throwing him into a bar that has snakes. They sat down to have lunch. Joseph in the bar? Okay, let's let's go to final steak sandwiches. And burgers and fries. That's what they did. They sat down to eat. One. Two, uh, actually one is they ripped off his jacket. We know what, he, what they did with the jacket. They dipped it in the blood 
They came to Yaakov. They didn't say, they said, they said, this is what we found. Yaakov saw blood on the jacket. He thought that's what they were trying to fool him. They took a goat, they shafted it, they took the blood, and they made it look like that Yosef, it was Yosef's blood, and Yaakov thought it was Yosef's blood, and that was on the Kisarnas Pass. So the first thing they did was they took up the Kisarnas Pass. That was the first thing. The second thing they did was they sat down to eat like they didn't care. And the third thing was the following. They sold Yosef to the Ishmaelim for 20 silver dollars. Those are the three things that they did. Because Yosef never said Mechila, we, 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 have been punished through all the generations because of this. We all know that Sami Ruge Malchus that we're going to say in Yom Kippur, each one represented a brother as we, as it says, they represented a brother that sold Yosef. The whole thing was about selling Yosef. But we also know that how did Hashem punish us for the other three things that he did? So first of all, they sat down to have a meal. So if you learn in Megillus Esther, it says that after Haman and, and Achishwerosh wrote that we're going to be wiped off the earth, Right? And there was a, an edict was distributed that we're going to be destroyed. So what did the king do? He just decided to destroy millions of his people. What did he do? He sat down to eat lunch. Hashem said, you brothers, when, you, when, you, when your brother was in danger of dying, you sat down to eat lunch? One day, when your brothers are in danger of dying again, Somebody else is going to sit down to eat lunch. Achashverosh and Hamam. So that was the Mida Kenegi Mida that they sat down to eat lunch. The great Sadik said that the blood libels, which I'm sure you've heard hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed for many, many years in Poland and in Russia and in Europe, that the non-Jews would kill a little, a little non-Jewish boy, take his blood, and make believe that we use that for our four cups of wine and for our matzah. What does that, what, where do they even think they're going to get away with such a stupid thing? Blood, matzah, go taste my wine, go taste my matzah. What blood, where? And this great tzaddik said, this is a punishment that the brothers took that animal's blood and made believe that it was human blood. So the punishment is that the goyim are making believe that the wine, the opposite way, we're getting punished, that the wine is really blood. Just like that blood wasn't really the blood that it was supposed to be, so now this blood is not really the blood that it's supposed to be, and that's all the Jews that died in the blood libels never suffered because they dipped the kisainas in the blood. The third thing is like this. When you read this, the Ten Harug and Malchus, so the first thing the king did, and it became a big shot. He filled up his whole palace with shoes. You're going to kill ten Sadiqim. What are you, a king in those days, filling up his palace with shoes? Why? So he said why. It's very clear. You don't need anyone to tell you this. He said, Where are the twelve shvat, ten shvat that sold your brother? They're not here. What did they sell him for? They sold him to Yishmaelim. They sold Yosef for a bunch of shoes. Now, why did they sell Yosef for a bunch of shoes? Very interesting. I'm not going to quote it inside, but there's, a machlo, there's two reasons. One, they say that when they, when, they, when they got the 20 silver dollars, they said, what are we going to do with it? Buy matzah? Buy cake? Buy... We can't. It's, it's a trade for money. What are we going to buy with trade for money? That money's from selling our brother. They're not going to buy tilling. So they said, you know what? We'll buy shoes. Shoes are the lowest thing in the world. We'll buy shoes. They have no kedusha, and they went and they bought shoes. Each one got a pair of shoes, all ten of them. 
he brings down the safe for something totally different. He says that Hashem, when he saw that Yosef was naked in the in the bar, Hashem sent Malach. Yosef was wearing a kameya around his neck, and from that kameya, the Malach made clothing. Listen to this amazing story he brings down. So now they pull it's an interesting story. They pull him out of the out of the bar and they and they see how clothing. And the Jews turn to the Ishmael and say, Hold it! We sold you him naked for twenty bucks. The clothing's worth more. You gotta pay us for the clothing. So the Ishmael turned around and said, uh, we paid you already the twenty dollars, we're not giving you any more money. So the Ishmael said, You know what? He's he has clothing, we'll give each one of you a pair of shoes for his clothing. That's how they got the shoes. So where did we get punished for that? Mamish, right before, right before your generation, right before my generation, we got punished for that. If anybody ever went to Yad Vashem, anybody ever went to the to the to the Holocaust museums, if anybody ever went to Auschwitz or to any of these places, the Nazis did a very crazy thing. They decided for some reason that after they take a Jew and they put him in the crematorium and they put him in the gas chamber, they're going to take his shoes and they're going to collect shoes, not jackets, which are worth a lot more, not sweaters, not shirts, not underwear, not sock shoes. And then we're going to take all these shoes and fill up six million periods of shoes in a huge, this was their plan, in a huge building. And that's how they're going to show the next generation that they killed six million Jews because a pair of shoes is a human being. Not your hat, not your jacket, not your filling, not your tixes. You're not going to find piles of any of that. But piles of shoes, warehouses. I saw the pictures. Warehouses of children's shoes, a million children's shoes. Warehouses of our grandparents' shoes. Great grandparents. Why? Why did the Nazis come up with collecting Jewish shoes? Why did this Russia fill up a palace of shoes? And the answer is to be a machabra that the, that the Shvatim sold Yosef, their brother, for shoes. How many thousands of years later Hashem held back for the Holocaust happened? For selling their brother for shoes. Christ for sure that any of us should sell our brother for anything. And that means when someone comes to your help, you gotta be there for them. And this Yom Kippur, we're going to bring Mashiach. And the way we're going to bring Mashiach is to take all these people who don't know about Yiddishkeit and to David for them and be down them from Khatzkus that when you bring Mashiach, all his children can be there. Not just us. That's our job. And if we do that, I'm not a Navi. <coughs> That's for sure. It says that Nevius is given to fools and children and women. I hope I'm none of the three. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. And this is my bracha. It's going to sound a little weird. Don't get nervous. My bracha to everyone in this room. You should be zeichet to see. Not what that Iranian Meshuggah wants. But I'm telling you that Amir to Hashem. Here is going to be a pile of shoes, not six million shoes, maybe 18 million shoes. A pile of Jewish shoes? You never saw a pile like that in your life. But it's going to be a different pile than the Holocaust. The Mishnah and Brachas. You can't come on Tahar Habayis when the Beit HaMikdash is in existence with shoes. The mission says, leave your stick and leave your shoes. You're not allowed to walk on the Harabayas in shoes. 
which means that when Mashiach comes, every Jew, when they come to the Harabais, when they come to the Beis Hamidosh, when we're going to march all together, we're going to stop and throw our shoes into this crazy pile of shoes. My bracha to myself and my bracha to you. My father used to always say this, Eric Yom Kippur, may I see you barefoot very soon. First time he said that to me, I said, Dad, that means no more allowance? <laughs> and he said, no, we're kohanim. Kohanim in the base of me just have to be barefoot. My bracha to you is, to all the kohanim here, that together with me, we should be barefoot in the base of Megdash. And all you guys, Mitz Hashem, should see that. And we should have to see this pile of shoes to give us a Yeshua, to give us a feeling that they took away six million pairs of shoes. We're going to put back millions and millions of pairs of shoes. And the only way we can do that is to down them for our brothers and to dress up that neshama in the next couple of hours so that when we stand in front of Hashem, it makes sense, the shidduch that he made by force. And then he'll come, and the shidduch that's also made at the end of time is the shidduch of God in us. May that happen in the very near future. and a good fast. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.